for the ANA Champions of Growth podcast, I'm Matthew Schwartz. Whether it's grappling with the link between digital ad placements and climate change, or how brands help to create a more diverse workplace, there's no shortage of challenges facing marketers in 2023. The challenges are compounded by a troubling economy, with inflation at a 40-year high and a possible recession looming large. And consumer spending may not bail us out this time. Marketing budgets are at risk as they're usually one of the first to get cut when things get rough. So the pressure is on CMOs to prove the worth of their marketing investments. But marketers also need to tread carefully when it comes to forecasting the future and brace for what's expected to be an unpredictable business environment in 2023. And that may be putting it charitably. Joining me to discuss what's in store for marketers and how they deal with an ever-changing business landscape are Bob Leodis, Chief Executive Officer of the ANA, and Nick Pramola, Executive VP of the ANA, who is also the primary lead for the ANA Global CMO Growth Council. Bob, Nick, welcome. Good to be here, my friend. Cheers, thank you. Bob, I'd like to start with you. Sure. The ANA held its master's conference last month in Orlando. What was the mood like among the roughly 2,100 attendees? And what's top of mind for marketers and advertisers heading into 2023? The, the mood was, was kind of mixed. On one hand, it was extraordinarily joyful for having uh, a masters-like crowd of that size and scale be all together to celebrate and to essentially recognize the value that our industry brings to the client-side marketer community and to the industry at large. But beyond that joy was a, uh, a level of concern and uh, in some cases, downright fear of the impending economic crisis. Now, if you, if you listen to some of the great forecasters out there, the range of potential economic scenarios there varies widely from, hey, we don't have much trouble in front of us to a particularly serious economic downturn. With that in front of us, client-side marketers are in fact very worried and are already pulling back a substantial amount of their marketing investments, primarily for the 2023 year. And they're loading up towards the end of this particular calendar year. And they're doing this out of a, a level of caution and an opportunity to address some of the economic scenarios that are out there. And fears have been risen by the fact of layoffs that we've heard from Amazon, Meta, Twitter, et cetera, and from some of our client-side marketers that have essentially canceled hiring plans for the future and are bracing for a variety of areas that are, can, in fact, confound their brand building strategies for the future. Now, for us, we are very, very ardent believers in the value of advertising uh, and marketing. Marketing is truly a brand builder. And in that vein, we have to recognize that in order to be able to survive this and to come out with a franchise and an enterprise that is robust is essentially capable of driving business and brand growth, which is what the ANA's mission is all about. We have to continue the levels of marketing investments to ensure that we don't atrophy and we don't lose consumer and customer loyalty. If we start to do that by pulling back on our investments, we're going to fall into the same trap that marketers have been falling into in every recession most notably back in 2008 and 2009. And as such, we're advocating very strongly to keep those marketing investments minimally flat, if not growing. 
And let's stay in that vein, Bob. Marketers are grappling, of course, with serious economic headwinds, record inflation, and a possible recession next year. As you made clear to the audience early on at Masters, quote, in the next few months, if you've not already been asked, you're going to be asked to cut your budget. You'll be asked to find ways to save money. This is not the time to do that. So my question is, you sort of touched on it just a moment ago, but how do CMOs and marketers make the most effective case to the C-suite that the company needs to continue to invest in marketing and advertising? Yeah, it's a, it's a great setup, Matt, because in fact, what we have is substantial empirical evidence that when you keep those marketing investments high, you in fact can retain not only your share of market, but have the ability to grow, number one. And, and with that are, are plenty of studies from McKinsey and other noted laureates and consultants that uh, have demonstrated that with past recessions. Number two, the reality is, is that highly branded organizations perform substantially better than the S&P 500. And if market is pulled back now, they undercut and undermine the value of those brand investments. So the reality here is that this is not about gut judgment. This is not a time for treating marketing as a simple cost. It truly is an investment. And we have to encourage the CFOs and CEOs of the, our various members out there to recognize that there is tremendous value in maintaining those investments. There's been a, quite a few studies in recent years that focus in on the economic value of the brand, most notably a recent publication by the MASB, the Marketing Accountability Standards Board. And in that, they have again demonstrated that those levels of investments build brands and we as marketers should demonstrate our commitment to those values of the brands by measuring those respective impacts and they are in fact measurable. And although the natural inclination may be to skew the marketing budget toward performance marketing and lead gen in a downward economy, why do marketers have to be careful not to give branding short shrift? Yeah, that's that's the billion dollar question. And, and um, what, what we recognize is that marketers in fact have to uh, realize that it is a balance between performance marketing and brand marketing. Now, that balance may get shifted a little bit within a recession, but there still needs to be a fundamental element of brand investments. So I wouldn't necessarily trade off one for the other. What I would say is look at the allocation that you have between the two and ensure that you have the right balance going for the next year ahead. It's important to you know, understand that, yes, we haven't gone through a recession, the likes of what is being predicted. And that's okay. But didn't we just go through, you know, almost three years now of a pan of a global pandemic with everything that came with that? And what did we see there? We saw that marketing was more important than ever. Some companies were 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 shut down. The marketing budgets were needless to say zero, but marketing continued to be more important than it ever was. And I think we we need to remember the lessons we literally just learned in that whole situation. Number one, in addition to, you know, making sure you're managing your, your budgets with a longer view, 
But what can you do right now, right? What can you do right now in marketing to create value for your consumers who are going through or will be going through the same recession that your company will be? How can you be most useful to them in a way that you are not now or more than you are now? And then secondly, internally, again, how do you make marketing essential to the to the company, not just marketing and better marketing incrementally, but marketing, making the company grow in, in its entirety throughout the enterprise? How can you, as either the head of the marketing function as a CMO or anywhere within the marketing function, or if you're in an agency, how can you help the customer service line? How can you help the retail uh, supply chain through your insights that you have, through the data that you deliver about your marketplace, about your consumers? How do you make your company more empathetic and understand the needs that the customers are going through right now that they may not have had yesterday? And Nick, you've been a strong proponent for the need among marketers to recruit and retain talent, major issue in the industry right now. So where do marketers need to step up their efforts when it comes to talent next year? Well, we're looking at it at the ANA from uh, from two areas, right? First and foremost is the talent that you have, uh, making sure that everyone on your team, and when I say your teams, I mean internally uh, through obviously the people that report into you, but also your extended team. Marketing is so interconnected with the enterprise now. And so you need to make sure that not just the, the people that are in the marketing staff, but the people who depend on marketing and who marketing depends on in the company, make sure they're on the, on the same page. So that's critical and vital right now. Everyone needs to be working in lockstep. And then uh, downstream, uh, recruiting new talent into the marketing function. The uh, the fact of the matter is right now, the people that we need in marketing most, right? So the financial, uh, strong financial acumen, um, you know, coming out of schools or working in consulting or in banking right now, uh, mathematicians, neuroscientists, behavior scientists, working in research, data and tech savvy, uh, entrepreneurial, they don't see themselves in marketing, right? Whether they're students or they're professors teaching the students or they're, in other professions right now, I mean, who do we need in the marketing community, in the industry, than individuals with those capabilities? And we need to bridge the gap between, or we need to help them, A, become aware of what they can do within the marketing function and, and uh, the value that they can create for businesses and for society in the in, within marketing. And then also with students, we need to do a better job of articulating what it is that a career in marketing looks like for the folks that we need. We we've been preaching to the choir for a long time now, um, you know, with respect to traditional marketing, creativity, and 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 things along those lines. But we haven't really expanded out over the last decade, let's say, to the people that we really need within marketing, who are, by the way, doing marketing in 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 what they're doing and and what they're learning, but they don't necessarily see that. So we just need to do a better job. As a uh, as an industry, and we are, we have gotten our you know sort of our our ducks in a row, our brief together as an industry, and we are launching a campaign to target students um, who are doing just that, targeting students who are in um, other areas but may already maybe marketing but not realize what they're doing and what what type of uh, real rewarding career they can get out of uh, at, that they can pursue. If they were just aware, um, and so we're we're doing a uh, a much better, more structured job in targeting them uh, with a campaign that we're coming out uh, and launching in a big way in 2023. 
you know, the marketing is, is extraordinarily different uh, than where it used to be. It's complex. It's very difficult to make decisions. And part of the reason is that we as an industry haven't necessarily invested as much in talent development as we should have. And so the watchword to marketers is to ensure that leadership invests in people. Number one, it's the most important asset. We've given lip service to that way too often and have not followed it up with the level of investment to build skills and to build leadership capabilities because we have so many alternatives in front of us and we don't necessarily have the boundaries and the barriers and the standards by which we can make effective decisions. So we have to spend a lot more time investing in that knowledge base and ensuring that decisions have everything factored in before they're made. And to Nick's point, isn't there a growing onus on client-sized marketers to have a much bigger aperture when it comes to recruiting, to have more of a, say, holistic approach? We've taken a major step over the past six months. We've been working with top high-growth brands to create a marketing competency framework. And we shared a draft of that in October at the Masters of Marketing uh, with the, the Global CMO Growth Council Summit. And we got some really terrific input into that. But first and foremost, you have to understand what, what gold standard is. What are high growth companies doing and how are they constructing their marketing functions? From there, we can start to uh, have the industry benchmark against that and build on it and evolve it as it goes. But we have to kind of catch up to the uh, the real-time transformation that the function has, uh, has has gone through. And I think we're there, at least you know on paper with this competency framework. Now we have to put that into practice and have people really start to adopt and debate and evolve uh, you know, what that is as we, uh, as we move ahead, both businesses with practitioners, as well as academics, um, because if you have one without the other, then you're, you know, you're, you're setting up for the same situation over again. Okay, vital issue that the industry really needs to stay attuned to. Bob, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about brand safety, one of the key issues facing marketers with heightened scrutiny following Elon Musk's acquisition of Twitter. What's the onus on CMOs to get ahead of brand safety? And how does the ANA's hashtag engage responsibly initiative help to drive the effort and raise awareness? What the industry has done is come together and aligned itself around an organization called GARM, the Global Alliance for Responsible Media. And this is a worldwide organization that is managed uh, with a nexus at the WFA, the World Federation of Advertisers to ensure that marketers and platforms are directly discussing that the brand safety issue is paramount and how do we ensure that the platforms diminish the issues that we have in front of us. And that's worked very, very well. GARM has grown in stature. It has grown as a place where marketers can go to for insights and information. It is reflected in the fact that there is a great degree of commonality that is being expressed by the platforms in connecting to the marketers in order to be able to continue to tramp down on brand safety issues. And so we have worked to create an infrastructure that can now better handle brand safety issues. Now, that being said, we've still only scratched the surface because there are a number of online brand safety issues that exist out there, particularly in the area of online hate. 
And that was the reason for the creation of Engage Responsibly, which essentially gets its marching orders via GARM, but is focused exclusively around online hate. Now, there have been many instances on the platforms that people have expressed online hate, but for the average individual, for the average brand or small business that's out there, we don't exactly know what to do with it or how to react to it or how to be able to report what we see so that there is a high probability that that online hate situation will be diminished. Here came Engage Responsibly with a very, very high focus against consumers and small to medium-sized businesses who have a, essentially a limited capability on their own to be able to figure it out what to do. And what Engage Responsibly will, will be doing and has been doing is essentially to connect these individuals together so that there is an appropriate reporting into the platforms so that the online hate situation can be identified and, and essentially deleted uh, from whatever platform it happens to exist on. Now, this is just launching, so it's just kind of getting its feet wet. But very importantly, we have the alignment with the BBB local programs. This is the Better Business Bureau. Think about your local business bureau. There are something like 96 chapters around the United States, and they have aligned with Engage Responsibly to ensure that the small and medium-sized business community in particular has the wherewithal to be able to connect the dots, identify the issue, and then strike any particular online hate issues as they see them arise. Uh, sustainability, Bob, another critical issue as well, uh, an area that will only become more pronounced right. next year. So what's the onus on marketers right now, particularly among CPG brands for protecting the planet and combating climate change? We know that the marketing footprint or the carbon footprint of the marketing industry it, it can be substantially improved. And we're just at the very beginning stage of gathering that knowledge about how we can rally as an industry to come together to essentially provide the wherewithal so that we all are all following common strategies across the industry, whether you're a marketer, an agency, a platform broadcaster, researcher, consultant, supplier, to contribute to the overall reduction of that carbon footprint. And this is going to rally around one particular area called AdNet Zero. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to Nick to talk more about that. So AdNet Zero was actually originated in the UK, and it's a relatively straightforward framework that we want to adopt here in the US. And we actually had them come to our uh, Global CMO Summit at the at the masters of marketing in october and what we've agreed to is really start to adopt that individually in organizations and so what that looks at is what to bob's point earlier is basically it's if you think about it it's just getting your house owner right right getting your house in order from your how you produce and distribute and deploy media digital media and and otherwise the other side of that is what we what, what our output is, right? What our output is in terms of what it is that we do, we impact culture, we impact behavior. And so every individual CMO, every individual brand has the ability to 
just like we're trying to do uh, and, and we're making a tremendous amount of progress on with inclusion of representation in advertising, in the product that we are uh, projecting, right? You know, we're trying to eliminate bias. We're trying to have better representation, more accurate portrayal of people. Now, turn that to planet, turn that into sustainable behavior. How do we normalize sustainable behavior? And if every CMO takes very, you know, relatively small but it, but intentional actions in that area, we can make, if you think about it, and all the people around the world that we impress upon with our with our advertising and media, who we reach, that that impact is global, it's seismic and it's scale. And if we each do our part in a united way to move towards that, then we can be incredibly impactful in a way that we won't be able to go back to in this in in this case it's a it's it, it's a positive impact in that situation and so we've done a uh, we've partnered with the Boston Consulting Group to come up with some principles called mainstream green and so just like with adnet zero we have a relatively straightforward framework of things you can do to get your house in order from a uh, sustainability standpoint uh, and reduce carbon emissions throughout your supply chain with mainstream green it's a you know, relatively simple framework or principles that you can apply without any new business case. You don't need any major, you know, major transformation, just things you can do literally every day as the head of your function or as agencies to apply. And together as a united community, we can have a major impact um, in our industry. What we all struggle with as marketers is, is there a common framework of actions that we can take to deliver the outcomes that Nick was articulating? And one area that's gaining a great degree of interest is in the programmatic media area, mm -hmm. which many marketers rely very heavily on in order to be able to place their digital uh, media. And, and in that regard, what we're recognizing is that programmatic media consumes a credible amount of energy mm -hmm. and not all of it is productively guided. And we're starting to understand that because programmatic media employs so many servers from around the world in order to make these billionth of a second types of decisions, the energy output and the carbon footprint that's, that's coming out of it is quite substantial. So much so that it can equate to as much as a significant portion of the travel industry. So immediately what the ANA is starting to look at along with the WFA and other individuals, mm -hmm. is how can we figure out how to be able to reduce our programmatic media uh, investments to maintain the good parts of what it is where those media investments go, but those unproductive areas, in fact, if we can figure out how to reduce them responsibly, we can in fact make a very, very big difference with a lot of focus. Stay with us, there's more to come. We now take a break for a brief message regarding the ANA Growth Agenda. The ANA Growth Agenda plays an important role in boosting the value of the marketing and advertising industries. The 12-point plan supports a wide range of issues that are crucial to the development of CMOs and marketers, ranging from diversity, equity, and inclusion, to sustainability, to brand safety. For more information, please visit ana.net slash growth agenda. And now back to our show. Welcome back. I'm speaking with Bob Leodis. 
CEO of the ANA, and Nick Primola, Executive VP of the ANA, about some of the biggest challenges facing CMOs and marketers as we head into 2023. Nick, there was a good deal of discussion at Masters regarding diversity, equity, and inclusion. Procter & Gamble Chief Brand Officer Mark Pritchard, who is ANA Chairman, said in a speech that the multicultural market is the general market. And the sooner companies realize that, the better for growth. So how do brands that haven't already started make that pivot? The attitude was more of a, you know what? Enough already. Enough already. There's no good reason why these challenges or obstacles should still exist. There, there's literally no good reason other than our inaction together, right? Everyone's doing something at their organizations, which is which is great. And there are consortiums and collectives and communities doing other things around the area. But they came together as a community to say, enough already. We're going to move this forward. We're going to solve this in a once and for all way. So it was a really important moment where that happened. Mark's talk the next day was a direct outcome of that conversation, of the urgency in the room. He actually switched his keynote that he had prepared for, I don't know how long it took him to prepare, but he sort of put that to the side and instead took the keynote that he was going to uh, share at the uh, ANA's multicultural conference uh, that was a couple of weeks away um, to really demonstrate that multicultural marketing is mainstream marketing. There is no generic uh, or general market. There is multicultural marketing. That is the biggest opportunity for growth. If we're looking for growth, not just market share, but market growth as organizations, as brands, that's where we're going to get it. And so um, it was it was tremendous to see the group unite in such a way. It was tremendous to see him sort of put, you know, talk into action. And now um, at the ANA, with our growth agenda, there is a DE&I focus throughout the growth agenda, because it's not just something that you kind of have to the side. Yes, it requires focus to, to really make an impact. Yes, it requires a distinct and deliberate strategy and plan for the industry to kind of you know make progress, but it can't be held out of our discussions around data and technology. It cannot be held out of our discussions around talent developing and recruiting and retention. Mark was exactly right, is that the primary source of growth in our industry has been from the multicultural segments. Uh, and there's plenty of data to actually prove that to take place. So if we're not focused in on multicultural marketing, then we're missing a massive growth opportunity for our brands and businesses. But in order to optimize that, you need a staff. We've been talking about talent. But you need a team that has enhanced sensitivity to the issues of reaching out to the multicultural segments. And that's the reason why it's so critically important for us, not just for social reasons, but for economic reasons as well, to ensure that our teams and staffs essentially reflect America. And by having that level of diversity on our staffs with a, an inclusion strategic overlay to ensure that we're working as a harmonious unit, we have now the ability to be able to identify where those growth opportunities are and to ensure that they are fundamentally applied in the most strategic way possible. Now, not all of these strategies come together real easy and there isn't necessarily one place where all this information is housed. Within the ANA, we have several units that are focused in on this. 
We have SEEHER, which is focused in on gender equality to ensure the accurate portrayal of women in ads. We have AIM, the Alliance for Inclusive and Multicultural Marketing, which has a very, very similar focus, but for cultural diversity. We have a supplier diversity issue that is essentially focused in on ensuring that uh, we reduce, if not eliminate, investment inequality. And we have, as, as Nick alluded to, a multicultural marketing effort that um, essentially provides the strategies and guidelines for reaching those audiences. And as importantly, we have our a and Educational Foundation, which comes together and ensures that our university system, academia, where a and has almost 100 university members as part of its overall membership, have the opportunity to understand what is going on in mainstream America within our respective industry so that the future leaders of this organization have the ability to not only appreciate how important multicultural marketing is, but to demonstrate that it has the diversity and inclusion strategies necessary to be able to fulfill it. And Bob, you make a very salient point in terms of the growing connective tissue between talent and DEI. And that's really a growing bond. And I want to jump ahead here in the interest of time. And as we start to wrap up, Bob, I want to switch gears and talk about brand purpose, sure. uh, which has moved to the core in the last few years. What's changing about brand purpose? There's probably no more important brand building strategy than purposeful marketing. And the reason is, is that, uh, you know, Nick alluded to the pandemic uh, that we all went through. And that was a real teaching moment for a lot of brand marketers. And the reason was, is that there was an intense recognition that marketers have the responsibility to authentically connect with their consumers and ensure that their well-being is primary to that particular brand. In addition to the fundamental business building characteristics that it is holistically responsible for as part of shareholder wealth, CEO and CFO strategies. So you have this double-edged approach in order to be able to optimize that level of growth. So purpose, as you mentioned, has been around for several years, but it has come under increasingly sharp focus because many marketers recognize how powerful an element it is when you can authentically represent that you are concerned about your consumers as much as you are concerned about business, building your businesses. And so that is being cemented in an overarching philosophy called Brands for Humans, that there is this level of empathy to consumers and customers while building our businesses. Unfortunately, like all good things, there is a, we'll call it a seedier side that has come about because there are some businesses and brands that inauthentically portray that level of connection and look fake and phony and attempt to portray themselves as essentially consistent with the, the core terrific strategy of Brands for Humans but make a very, very poor case. And so this has kind of fallen under this bucket of what is being called purpose washing. Yep. And that's an unfortunate development. I will say this, there'll always be issues that come out 
of brand new, innovative and creative strategies. It just always seems to happen no matter what it is that we do in terms of creativity and innovation. I do think that there is a great degree of respect for what needs to get done. And we are working very hard to ensure that our marketers very well understand what it means to be an appropriate, purposeful brand. In regard to purpose washing, I think of the famous Warren Buffett quote, it takes about 20 years to build a brand and two minutes to blow it up. I mean, in terms of, is that really the onus on brand side marketers and CMOs right now in terms of purpose washing and, and, so and I say, how this they is really need simple. to be much more vigilant? I actually think it's, it's uh, more about the brand safety issues that you were alluding to before. Uh, any type of uh, inauthentic or uh, damaging portrayal of a brand or business uh, would fulfill Mr. Buffett's claim that you can bring that brand down in very, very quickly. We've seen a number of instances over the years where a brand gets tagged, unfortunately, for whatever the particular reasons, some unintentionally for that matter. But uh, no doubt, purpose washing is something that can be controlled. We don't know. We, we think that in some instances, it's in an unintentional just poorly executed brand purpose strategy, but there's some bad players and bad actors out there as we've seen across the industry, but um, purpose washing and brand safety have a united front and that is we've got to eliminate all of those issues simultaneously. And as we start to wrap up, a lot of the issues we've discussed today stem from CMOs and marketers bolstering their leadership with the C-suite and throughout the organization and having more business acumen but it's difficult to get a seat at the table and keep it. So when it comes to taking on more of a leadership role, what should be the priorities for marketers moving forward? I'd like to get both of you to comment. Nick, you first. So I say this is pretty simple. To elevate your role as a, as a CMO as, as, and, and the marketing function, I think you have to look across, not up. You need to look across the entire enterprise. How does marketing help the service line? How does marketing help product development? How does marketing help research? How does marketing help drive insights, human insights, deep, rich human insights get that give you that competitive advantage through the organization? How does it pump data through the veins of the organization to drive the technology and innovations that the innovate that the company can grow from? So I think that's really marketing's role there. Yes, of course, it's about financial acumen, but I just you know look at that as synonymous with. How does it knowing how your company grows? And if you don't know that, if you don't know, you know, how marketing supports and helps drive growth within the stakeholders in the organization, then you, you know, what are you doing? Focus on growth, focus on creating value for your consumers, and off we go. And of course, I, I, I thought of uh, when you mentioned that, Nick, I thought of the late, great George Lois, who we lost this weekend, yeah. Yeah. who was the uh, one of the founders of the so-called big idea in advertising. But now it's a whole different animal. It's the creative, but it's creative in this whole other context that Nick really spelled out wonderfully. Bob, you get the last word now. Is more effective leadership the linchpin for marketers to enhance their value and win bigger budgets? Always was and always will be. I don't think we pay enough attention to the leadership question, uh, which if we go back to some of the earlier comments and, and to what Nick really just said, is marketing has become ridiculously complex. It's, it's really tough to wrap your arms around the totality, mm. all the places that marketing touches, both inside the organization and to its respective consumers and customers. 
and to the overall supply chain that connects marketing with those particular consumers and customers. The only way to really make that connect, those connections happen in a productive and growth-oriented way is through great leadership. And when you think about the leaders that occupy the CMO uh, position or any of the senior leadership positions, there are many individuals that did not necessarily grow up in a lot of the disciplines that Nick talked about, whether it is data analytics or DEIB or sustainability. I mean, so many of these things are relatively new areas, even attempting to understand the, the digital media supply chain, the measurement uh, complexities that we have in front of us, um, the issues with respect to a how is a marketing organization best constructed, CFOs and CEOs are largely in the dark about how those things happen and rely increasingly upon the CMOs to make them happen. I think that there is a substantial gap in expectations about how fast those things can happen. But in many instances, it's like steering a super tanker. It really takes a level of time and patience and endurance to be able to bridge the gap to ensure that not only the um, individuals within a marketing organization, but all of the other organizations, be they agencies or platforms of researchers, consultants, or suppliers, are also up to speed with the rapid changes in the marketing landscape. Look what we talk about now, the metaverse. Well, who even understands exactly what it is? And even more so, what do we do about it? How do we get into it? There are no footprints for what to do and how to accomplish it. But the CMO is all of a sudden expected to be the resident expert and then deploy the appropriate strategies necessary to be able to take advantage of what this powerful uh, arena is all about. Well, that's essentially is a microcosm of the issues that many CMOs face, but also more importantly, the leadership challenges that they have. And what we at the ANA, particularly through the Global Growth Summit, and one of our sister organizations called the Institute for Real Growth are essentially attempting to connect is all of the individual complex pieces that can comprise a holistic CMO that understands how to navigate these very, very difficult and challenging terrains so that we can make a, a very, very effective decisions. And that requires the ultimate in leadership skills. Everybody buckle up for 2023. Absolutely. That that's all the time we have for now. Thanks so much for Bob and Nick for taking the time. Thanks, guys. Our pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much to my guests today, Bob Leodis, CEO of the ANA, and Nick Promola, Group Executive Vice President at the ANA. To learn more about the ANA's 12-point growth agenda, go to ana.net slash growth agenda. If you'd like to recommend a guest or topic for a future episode, please email me at mschwartz at ana.net. And be sure to subscribe to Champions of Growth wherever you listen to podcasts. That's all for now. I'm Matthew Schwartz. Thanks for listening.